Welcome in once again. It's the BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. And we have a lot to talk about this week. Hopefully as little of it as possible about the Yukon Huskies. <laughs> a lot going on as uh, Cincinnati AD Mike Bone, former Cincinnati AD, was Mike, Bo- Mike Bone was named the athletic director at Southern California today. He will take over at USC, so Cincinnati is in search of an athletic director. We have the Ohio State Buckeyes taking down the Cincinnati Bearcats 64-56 last night in Columbus. We have the thrilling 46-43 victory over ECU uh, last Saturday to talk about. And then, like I said, at the end, we'll talk a little bit about the homecoming. We'll talk about the Bearcats in the homecoming game. I just don't have anything to say really about UConn. So, uh, and then we'll talk about the tailgate. And uh, I pulled off a good one, Dave, for the tailgate this week. I always, I always like free stuff. I, I got. I feel the like food. that's where I, this is heading. I, I got the food this time. There I, we go. I dialed up a longtime connection of mine, some good friends of mine. I said, "Hey, you want to do some trade? We'll give you some advertising." And you guys uh, hook us up for the tailgate. And they said, absolutely. So uh, we will talk about my fine friends at Ebert's Meats in Newport uh, at the end of the podcast when it's time for the tailgate, the Simone family tailgate segment. But I snuck them in there, Ebert's Meats in uh, in Newport. Those have, those have been my guys for a long, long time. Uh, they listen whenever I'm on the radio. They're big UC fans. And... Uh, we will talk about them in a little bit. I also want to say a huge shout out, special thank you to everyone that was at Tafts on Saturday. That was a big time show out uh, by the Bearcat fans. And you guys impress me every week at Tafts. Every week we show up in a big way. Every week that place is absolutely full. This time there was a line almost to the door. Uh, people trying to get drinks. And you took advantage, all of you, of the special, the new special through the end of the season, four road games. We got two more road games to go. As soon as the Bearcats score a touchdown, pints are $3 for the rest of the game. And Dave, that made the line at the bar very long. Well, I mean, they... Second possession, right? Yeah, forced a three and out and then scored, didn't they? I mean... Yeah. It was like nine, nine minutes and change left i sent out the the bat signal on twitter hey that cut scored if you're not test yet hurry up and get there because the way that game ended up you got three dollar beer for like four hours it was a long game Woo! it was a very long game and uh we will get to that shortly but i i had some uh, some folks that joined me uh including our good friends chelsea and Stu gilchrist uh who were were out and about Chelsea is doing awesome for everybody that knows that story. She was as feisty as ever. Uh, we can, we, we, her and I had several jokes back and forth about her dying. She guilted me, Dave. She guilted me. I had someone. I mean, like, I had someone bring. So a while back, I, I had asked um, a friend if they could bring me uh, one of the Pike to Ben's cups for my dad, the commemorative cups. So they brought me two. And it was very nice of them. One for my dad, one for me. So my dad was there. I get the cups and I take his cup out and give it to him. 
and and Chelsea's looking at me with puppy dog eyes and kind of pouting. I was like, you want my cup, don't you? She reached out her hand. She said, Chad, I died for that cup. <laughs> Fine. So I didn't even get a cup, but Chelsea and Stu were there. They had a great time. The, and, the, uh, the thing that... The thing she can do now is, like, do you remember in, I think it was The Hangover 2, when Ken Jung was like, but did you die? Right, she can right. now do that to Stuart, like, when they're in an argument or something, and be like, yeah. don't take out the trash. No. D- but did you die? Like, I don't have to do anything the rest of my life. Yeah, she died. And she's still here. <laughs> and it's remarkable. But they, they came out, had a great time. They stayed for the first half. Uh, and uh, everybody, I thought, looked like they were very much enjoying themselves at Tafts, and we will be back there uh, next week for USF. Find out uh, Monday or Sunday when that t- when that kickoff is going to be. Uh, so we'll talk about that next week on the podcast, either at three thirty on ESPN or ESPN two, or seven o'clock on CBS Sports Network. My guess. If they win and they're still, you know, secured as the highest ranked uh, G5 team, my guess is they'll be on one of the ESPN networks. I but, would hope so. Yeah, um, but we we will see on that. But once again, thanks to everybody for coming out to Taft's. Thanks to Stone Lanes for showing up and handing out quite a few gift cards uh, for the bowling alley that is right up the street from Taft's. So if you got a gift card, check that out. If not, check them out anyway. A good friend of the site, and good stuff at Stone Lanes. All right, Dave, let's get to uh, first off the news of the day. Mike Bone officially, after a week of speculation, officially named the athletic director at University of Southern California. I don't really care what it means for USC. I I don't think anybody listening does either. No, of course not. Mike Bone did good things for UC. He he made good coaching hires. Uh, Fifth Third Arena is renovated. Uh, but it's onward and upward. It's next man in, and it's going to be uh, very interesting to see the direction that UC goes. I think the only thing that really uh, jumped out at me today was Neville Pinto naming Ryan Hayes the acting, not the interim. It's all The key is all in the wording, Dave the acting director of (laughs) athletics, not the interim director of athletics. Um, I figured it would be somebody from the athletic department. Instead, he, he taps the executive vice president. Uh, He's also the chief of staff for, for Neville Pinto. Um, It's interesting because the the quote from, from Pinto is interesting. That was released with Dr. Hayes at the helm. My office will have direct oversight of athletics during this transition. I assume that to also mean a direct oversight of the hiring of a new athletic director, uh, which, of course, that's their job. But um, that's really the only thing that jumped out at me today that was a bit of a surprise was that it wasn't a a Maggie McKinley or a Karen Hatcher or someone inside uh, the Linder Center. It was somebody inside the president's office that Pinto uh, named the the acting director of athletics. Yeah, I mean, it's... We definitely were, you know, because usually more times than not, someone in the athletic department is is put into that role just because they're more familiar with the day-to-day and the relationships in the athletic department. 
And, you know, as you were saying that, I kind of had a thought, and this could be totally wrong, but do you think maybe this is just Pinto's way of basically him being the acting athletic director, but not, can't really say, because he's also the president. Like, he he's basically, if your chief of staff is doing it, you're basically doing it with, with them. And, you know, you're involved on a daily basis now, much more than you probably ever were. I mean, that's just maybe one way to to look at it. I would say if not directly, then absolutely indirectly. Because everything that all the decisions that are going to be made in, you know, for overseeing athletics in the very near future uh, will be handled basically by by Neville Pinto. (laughs) Which is, you know, that that is actually in line with the reality that in five weeks, every Power 5 program with a job opening is going to to be in contact in some way or trying to be in contact in some way, shape, or form with Luke Fickle. I think the right way to do it is to say, look, I'm handling this. We might not have an athletic director in place, but I am handling you know, your contract and your, your future with Cincinnati. Right. And I mean, again, this is, I could be totally, totally off based on this, but like, I don't really think it matters in this particular case. If there is an athletic director hired by the end of the season, because like you said, yes, a bunch of people will probably become calling for Luke gauging his interest and things like that. But I don't think there's a job that he would take that changes. If there's an athletic director in place, like let's just say hypothetically USC hires James Franklin and Penn state wants Luke. Does an athletic director being in place really matter? Not if the like president, either, not if the president is directly handling communication with Luke Fickle. No, well, but I'm just saying, like, you either want the pen a pen, job like Penn State or you yeah. don't. I'm not sure it matters if the president's handling it, if you've hired a new AD yet or not. Like, it's one thing to be like, hmm, do I want to go to Maryland or do I want to go to Illinois? There's no AD here, like, but, you know. But like, I mean, if like, say, Michigan State or Penn State, or, you know, for heaven's sakes, USC. Like, I don't think those jobs, like, I don't think it really matters if there's who's handling it or if someone's in place. Like, you either want that mega top, we'll call it top 15, top 20 job, or you want to stay at UC. So, you know, I'm not, I think it definitely helps in the interim from now until the end or now until the end of the season, and in if there is going to be you know discussions along the way, it's easy to know exactly who we're talking to. There's a relationship there between Pinto and and Fickle already. Like that's that's all helpful. Um, but like in the grand scheme, like taking more of like a big picture look at it, I've just kind of been like, well, if a major Power Five job presents itself, I'm not sure that it's like a a thing that matters 
I think it does matter in that knowing who you're working for versus not knowing who you're going to be working for for the foreseeable future. Um, but I think some of that goes away if if hypothetically a job comes calling that Luke Fickle has interest in to know that the president is saying, look, it doesn't matter who we hire as the athletic right. director because I'm the boss. And I want you here for however long you want to be here. My only concern when this stuff with Bone last week came up was who's going to relay that message to Luke Fickle and, and how much juice does that person have when they relay the message? Now it looks like it will be Neville Pinto relaying that message. Not that we didn't think that it would be in the first place, but I think this move today states that it will be um, definitively. So that's why I was looking at it from that standpoint of, you know, yes, there's some uncertainty on, you know, who your next boss is going to be in the Linder Center, but there's no uncertainty at the University of Cincinnati that we want Luke Fickle to be the head coach for however long Luke Fickle wants to be the head coach. I think that message right. is important, and hearing it from Neville Pinto, uh, I think, can can carry some weight. So well, um, I, that's my I, take on that. I think, yeah, for sure, and I agree. And I think, too, over the last six months to a year, I would also think that, and I get the sense that President Pinto has become more involved in the athletic side of things, uh, maybe not on a day-to-day basis, but just, you know, maybe more involved than he was at first when he first came on. Yeah. He's got huge things to, to worry about as a university president in athletics is, is a small, small part of that. I mean, we love it and everything, but like, it's, it's a small part of the total yeah. operation, but, I think he's gotten more involved than maybe he was, you know, you know, everyone wants to compare from the athletic side to how involved and into everything Santa Ono was. And, and that's, that's an anomaly, I think when it comes to school presidents, but uh, I, I do get the sense that Pinto is, is more in tune and more involved. And it's, I think that's also been bared out kind of the announcement today and, and what that means for the foreseeable future. Yeah. All right. That's, I mean, I don't have a whole lot more on that. Do you? No, I mean, not necessarily. No, I think, I mean, I just think the job is going to be incredibly attractive. Um, more times than not, ADs or AD positions open, and, um, mainly because someone left for another one another job but um sometimes too because there's stuff to clean up or there's something that's gotta gotta change and i think uc is in a pretty good position especially given what they've had to deal with over the last several years that i think there's going to be a lot of very talented people that have probably already expressed interest in the position so i I don't know if this is going to be one of those you know three, four, five-month type things. Uh, it might be quicker than that. We, we just don't know. I mean, there might be some people that make sense right away, and, and it moves along quicker than, than normal. Yeah, it'll be interesting to uh, to track, and we will pass along any information we're hearing on that side. My guess is, with this all being handled directly at the president's office level, probably not going to be a whole lot of leaks. No. 
when you're handling it at that level, you don't. There's not a lot of people you have to tell what's going on. Right. There, there's not a lot of trickle down uh, of information in that situation. So uh, we'll we'll give you everything we can get, but I'm guessing that's going to be about as airtight as humanly possible, at least in the short term, as they build a list and uh, and start acting upon what that list uh, allows them to do. So um, let's get to last night, Wednesday night, as the Bearcats went up to Columbus, uh, had a seven-point lead at halftime, but couldn't withstand uh, an Ohio State barrage early in the second half. Uh, the Buckeyes were able to gain control. They pushed the lead out to nine with about seven minutes left. UC answered with a, an eight-to-one run. They cut the lead to two at the under-four timeout, but just could never really make that play that that pushed them back into you know a, a comfortable position in this game. And ultimately, thanks to some free throws late, and some missed opportunities by Cincinnati. Ohio State wins by the exact same score, 64-56, that we saw a season ago to reopen Fifth Third Arena. Dave, what stood out for you? Did you, what did what did you see that you liked? What did you see that you didn't like? Uh, what I saw that I liked, I I felt the you know the overall flow of the offense. I think in the first half, even though I felt like it kind of bogged down in the second half, uh, the first half I thought was good. They just didn't hit shots, and that was the unfortunate part because Ohio State played so awful that they probably should have been up 10 to 15 at halftime instead of whatever it was, 6-7, six, seven, and seven. it probably would have been been a different, different game. I, w- I kind of wish, I mean, if you're just missing open shots, that's, you know, and that's kind of what it was, but um, I wish they would have been able to figure out a way to maybe just kind of generate some more, some more offensive chances. I, I, I didn't love that we got worked by Kyle Young. Second year in a row, by the way. I don't think he's any good. And Second year in a row, by the way. I know that he's, he just he's, out. He just out hustled. I mean. All of his stuff was on effort, and that yeah. bothered me. Um, the fouls were the, – the, the calls were atrocious in general, but I also felt like, okay, there were several bad ones, but adjust and stop fouling. Well, um, yeah, but – No, there were tons bad, but they still committed 27 fouls. Okay, I, I, I want to go through this because – I had a friend of mine that is uh, has been an official for a long time, and he went through some of it. So he watched all of Chris Vote's fouls. Foul number one. So I mean, like, there was probably one real one. <laughs> foul number one uh, falls into touchy, but looked like his arm was on the back of Wesson, who was falling. Might not have been a foul, but he can see why the official saw it that way. I take that as fifty-fifty. Right. Sure. Second second foul was a good call. Vote's arm was not straight up when contact was made. Three was a bad call. Four was a 50-50 call uh, with two guys jostling for position. And then the fifth one, which I thought was bad uh, live, but up, upon replay it was correct. He hit the guy in the head uh, on the block shot attempt that was his fifth foul. So first one, 
Second one, good. Third one, bad. Fourth one, 50-50. Last one, real. He had five fouls. Two of them were good calls. Right. Well, he also, like the he one had, that the, the one that got me was the was Jaron's charge where I'm he didn't to actually that. Hit, hit anybody. You let me finish talking. Uh, and then the the charges that Wesson drew, one the first one looked like a bad call. It absolutely was a bad call. His right foot was in the arc, and he was on the baseline with the official standing inches away from him. And then he thought the second one was a good, good call. Both feet were outside the arc. I didn't think he was set. I thought he was still backpedaling. Uh, but he says he felt that was a good call. So we have seven calls that he reviewed. Three of them he felt were good calls. Less than 50%. Two of them were 50-50, and two of them were bad. You know, first game of the year, man. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, so there were seven calls. Four of them were not even like the 50-50 ones. Okay, well, 50-50 means they should go 50-50. They half, half of those go one way, one after the other. <laughs> They went 100% Ohio State, and then yeah. two bad calls oh, yeah. that went to Ohio State. So that's four whistles, two of them being and one calls. And the one on vote being a block shot that they got two points out of. That was the third one that was a bad call. So, look, I really do hate complaining about officials. I really do. But in that situation, when you're on the wrong side of it so many times, oh, it's yeah, it's it's incredibly frustrating, and and you know, I totally get it. It's, I mean, it's annoying. Get the calls right. That I mean, that's yeah, it really I've, shouldn't I've, be that hard to ask. It really shouldn't. I've, I've and why is of, Caleb Wesson always... getting the Michael Jordan treatment? Right. I've always kind of laughed at the, like, play better than the officials. Well, how about the officials just do what they're supposed to do? Right. And then we don't have to play better than the officials. Like, they don't have to officiate better than the game. Like, Right. You just have we, to officiate we, the right, the proper call. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was a, it was a mess. I mean, all the way around, I mean, it was a mess. But, like, you know, like we, you know, we, you talked about, you know, the game was there to be had, just didn't make plays, didn't make a couple, missed a couple of shots. I was kind of disappointed in the free throw shooting. Both teams was atrocious. I don't know what that was all about. But, like, even with all the fouls, if UC shoots a halfway decent percentage from the line, it's a different game. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, one, I definitely like what I saw out of Chris McNeil. I like the way he played. Um. Uh, he's just got a different burst from the lead spot than than we're used to seeing, which I think is good. It'll and as as he plays more with Jaron and Javen and Keith, I think that'll that'll be you know a nice key going forward. And and just in general, I thought that the you know the offense was we had some flow to it, which was nice to see. I I didn't I thought we gave up and we're you know with those fouls and stuff it was it was difficult but I thought we just gave up way too many second chances especially in the second half and 
and and just stuff on like we talked about with the with Kyle Young. It was just it was just effort, man. Like that, I didn't well, like that. I just, I thought that was a. I would say this, and I, and I agree with you, but I I also think, and and this is a credit to Kyle Young when I say this. Caleb Wesson draws so much attention that there is an opportunity for someone opposite him if they are a high-effort, high-energy guy to make a major impact. And that's what he did last night because Cincinnati was doing everything it could to contain Wesson. Right. And oh, to keep I agree. him off the glass. Young busted his ass and took advantage of, of those opportunities. So that's on him. Yeah, I was just a little disappointed that we didn't have I know. we didn't really match it. Um, I agree. I, I just think with what they're they're having to do, and especially with the foul trouble and trying to keep Wesson contained, which they did. He only scored eight points. Now he had what, eleven, twelve rebounds. Um he had a good day on the glass. But to keep him contained allowed young for opportunities to be the aggressor on the weak side, opposite him. And he, he did a phenomenal job of that. that Caleb Wesson did not score on one post-up last night. Yeah. He had a putback and two threes. And those are the only points he scored. He did not score on an entry to the post on a back-to-the-basket big man move at all the entire night. I'd also say about him, and I didn't see the, the, the broadcast, so I don't know how much they talked about it. Kudos to that young man for how much he changed his body in the offseason. He looks like a different human. He definitely looked much, much thinner. The baby face, like all the, you know, the chunky baby face oh, was yeah. gone. Um, I mean, he looked like a legit, I don't know, because, you know, he's undersized. And his shot will get him some time in the NBA because he can really shoot it. Um, but he is exactly what you want a college center to look like these days. And, you know, kudos to him for working to get to that point. Cause right. coming up, coming up as a young kid, he wasn't skinny. <laughs> no, he had, no, he no, had no. a lot of weight problems and, and he answered those and, and hats off to him for, for, you know, taking it serious and getting the work. Um, yeah. Let, let's talk about I Jaron think... a little bit. No, go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, my my point is more of like a bigger picture thing. So yeah, we can keep talking on the on the micro for a little bit longer for sure. Jaron didn't look like he was in shape. He, he didn't look like he was game ready to me. No. And that's I, something I, that that has been I talked agree. about. But he missed most of the summer. He missed most of the fall. Um, he is. The question will be: How hard does he fight? to get back to that level because as it stands, he's got a long way to go. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't see a guy that looked like he was ready for the season to start last night. And honestly, if you're being real with yourself, he didn't look like he didn't look like he was ready to go really against Thomas Moore as well. Um, he made a couple plays because he was the best player on the floor against Thomas Moore, but he didn't look like efficient, you know, aggressive Jaron Cumberland in either game. And right. they, they've got a couple games here in November where uh, they're, they're still going to be tested, but they should be the better team on the floor pretty clearly. Uh, and, and they've got about two weeks here before they, before things really, really kick up that 
Jared Cumberland's going to have to get in game shape and get ready to be the best player on this team. He's not there they're yet. They're probably going to they're probably going to get tested Monday night. By the rapper from Canada? Drake? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, they're they're I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying like two-point game with two minutes to go tested, but like they had a a big second half to their year last year, and they they brought back everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it's definitely not one roll the balls out, win by 20. Right. It's a lot closer to the Ohio State game than that, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, the challenge is going to be up to Jaron. Is he going to completely buy in and, and get where he needs to be physically and mentally for this thing to work? And is he going to, you know, is he going to do that and have the type of senior season he's capable of having? Because I think what I mainly what I walked away yesterday was this team has enough parts. It has enough pieces. I mean, they might, you know, they might not be final four good, but they've got a chance to be top 20, top 25 good uh, as the system continues to come together. They showed me the type of fight, the type of defense that, you know, if you were worried, if those those things, those staples of the Cincinnati program over the past 30 years were going to be there, we saw that they were there uh, against Ohio State. Uh, it would have been very easy. Things aren't going their way in the middle of that second half. Uh, Javen Cumberland airballs a three. Ohio State goes right down, bangs a three, makes it nine points. It would have been very simple at that point to just kind of say, you know, hey, we had a lead at halftime and, you know, we played pretty well for 32 minutes or whatever and let it get away. They didn't. They answered, like I said, with a, an eight to one run and put themselves right back in the mix to win that game. Um, this team is good enough to to compete at a high level this year, but they need their best player to be their best player if they're going to do it. That's my take on that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, and, and yeah, that's the case for what ninety nine out of a hundred teams. When your best player is yeah. as good as he can be, I mean, you can't have thirteen point outings and airballing threes and missing two free throws in crunch time. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna beat other good teams when that happens. Correct. To play. At the top of of their ability, Jaron Cumberland has to be All-American Jaron Cumberland. Uh, and we haven't seen that guy yet. Is it, Hopefully, it's just a case of getting back into game shape, getting back into to being on the court. Uh, because if that's the case, then here in a few weeks, uh, these these concerns won't exist. And oh, he'll, be, sure. he'll be ready to go. So, uh, what else you got on the game? Oh, not much. Not much on the game. I just, it's. I just, from a big picture standpoint, it was, you know, a bummer just because they've challenged themselves, you know, considerably this year in the non-conference with what I think are five, you know, kind of key games and dropping the first one, which is not. There's no. 
It's a top twenty team on the road, the first game of a new coach like that. Yeah, it was it was there to be won. That's the thing is like, you know, you go into the half up seven. You didn't play. Neither team played that good, and then, you know, you they gave up forty five points. So it's like now there's these four four marquee games left. They've almost got to win three of them because of the way the league is this year. I think it's much better top to bottom. I don't think you can just pencil in, you know, eight out of nine road wins like we've kind of seen the last few years. You're probably looking at, what, five to six league losses at best unless something, you know, wild happens. I mean, the league is good. Like, they've won in Memphis several years in a row. That's going to be tough to do. Houston, winning at Houston is tough. Winning at Wichita this year is going to be tough. Like, there's just more potential pitfalls, I think, this year when you take into account the new, the, the lot of new pieces in the roster, the new system, when is it going to come together, all those type of things that you've got to grab some of these marquee non-league games because you can't get to the end of the year with, say, yeah. 10 or 11 losses and – you went one and four on those five games or two and three on those five games. Cause yeah. then, but you but, know, they're going to look and go, well, who'd you beat? Which sometimes that doesn't seem to matter, which right, drives well, yeah, crazy. That's, like, that's what I was going to get to. And the other point, anybody, being, Dave, <laughs> I, I get your point and you're right, but we all knew this was the case coming in. And we, we all knew Ohio state wasn't going to be a likely victory on the road to open the season in the first game of the John Brandon era. So I'm not going to get, you know, too far out over my skis because the same things that we felt Wednesday at 8 o'clock, half an hour before tip-off, are true now that they lost the game. You know what I'm saying? No, for sure. I just look at it as like, man, that was the game you probably could have stolen it. Yeah. Right. That you could have stolen, and then that just gives you one more. Because that win, just like that win for Ohio State last year, carried a ton of weight all the way through the season, once UC did what they did, like it could have been the same type of thing for UC. Been like, man, they went in there first game, first game with the new coach, and they got that win. Like, look at all these teams Ohio State's beating at home, and UC did that. So it's not like it's like you said. I'm not getting over my skis. It's just like a man. That's a that could have been a, a a nice one to have, and now it just kind of puts them a little more pressure on them to make sure they don't drop one of these so called middle of the pack games and they've got to get some of those, you know, the Tennessee Xavier Iowa games. They've got to get some of those now under their belt. Yeah. They'll be back at it Monday, as Dave mentioned, taking on Drake. Uh and then Friday? Thursday? Friday? Th- th- Thursday I think is Alabama A and M, yeah. Something something Huntsville A <laughs> and M Tech. Yeah. <laughs> um Let's touch on ECU a little bit. Sure. That was um, interesting. It was interesting. It wasn't pretty by any stretch of the imagination, but I also think it was this team finding out they're getting everyone's best shot right now. And everyone is coming in pumped up to play the top ranked team in the American, the top ranked group of five team, the team with, you know, everybody at that point, when you're having a season like ECU, it means a ton to you if you're the team that 
ruins Cincinnati's New Year's Six Bowl chances. And I don't know that this team um, has been ready for that yet. I think we've seen it a couple times um, where, you know, their talent has has maybe overcome their performance or their focus uh, on the road at Houston and and at and then Tulsa here. Um, but now the message should be delivered loud and clear, right? Like that wasn't one that, you know, you pulled away in the final five minutes. That was one you had to, to you know, hang on for dear life and hope that you could figure out. And luckily for the team and Luke Fickle and everybody involved, Ahmad Gardner uh, made the play that changed the game. And then Sam Crosa uh, was able to put through the field goal as time expired. But it, 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 there's no more time to sleepwalk through this stuff. Even even with UConn coming up, and, and we're, like I said, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on that game. But you've got to put it on UConn. You've got to come out focused oh, yeah. and show you learned your lesson from what's happened over the past the past four weeks, the past three games, where you haven't been sharp. Because the bill is coming due. And you've got UConn and then what should be a pretty tough game on the road against South Florida. Um, and then you get Temple and Memphis. And if, you know, you've got to be ready by the time you get to those two games. And I think we need to start seeing that improvement on Saturday because it was not pretty against uh, ECU for most of that game. Right. I mean, I think a couple a couple things. ECU played out their you-know-what offensively from everything that they had done yeah. up until that point. So congratulate me. I'm not going to take anything away from what they did offensively. That they played great, but it was so far out of character. And I think so. UC hold, holds them three and a half to start the game. Goes right down and scores. Seventy-five yard touchdown pass. Okay, tied up at seven. UC goes right down and scores again. I think right there when ECU scored. To go to match them for the second time, I think they got a little shook and was like, "Wait a second, these guys are supposed to just like we've gone down, we've we've gone down twice and put it like no problem." And now, what is it? Why are they having two straight touchdown drives? Like we haven't given up more than three touchdowns in a game to anyone besides Houston and Ohio State, and these guys ended up scoring seven touch, you know, whatever it ended up being, six touchdowns, seven, you know. And that's when I think the – and I don't know exactly what the deal was with all the penalties and especially the personal fouls because you never really see that. But it, it got out of control, and and I'm sure there was some – you know, it was it both ways, and UC just got the, the brunt of it. But, you know, like – ECU offensively, basically, I mean, they ran almost, they ran like 99 plays. So they ran the ball 35 times, but they basically abandoned the run because they still only ran it 35 times for 102 yards, which is under three yards of carry. They only ran it in blatantly obvious run situations. And they just chucked it and said, we're just going to throw it up and see what happens. And 
all of the plays that you've seen made against UCF, the interceptions, the last-second deflections, the throws that UCF was open on but was just a shade underthrown because of pressure or a shade overthrown that would have gone for a touchdown, but they just overthrew. ECU just made every one of those plays. And that's how they stayed in the game. I mean, their offensive line has been a disaster all year and somehow doesn't give up a sack. And Ehlers is backpedaling and throwing the ball at the last second, and he's only a 55% passer, and he completes 62% when he threw the ball like six, like 50-something times. I mean, it was just – it was everything, one big confluence of crap all rolled into one that was like, are you kidding me? Like, he's, he's putting these balls on 15-yard digs that he's not completing against air on practice on Wednesday, and he's completing those, like, in double coverage, and guys are making touches over their heads, and I'm just – I'm like – this is this is ridiculous. But I mean, for you know, a while you it, made it, it felt couple, like that team was going to lose. It felt like Cincinnati was going to lose. Oh, I mean, they were down twelve points with eight and a half minutes left. Like that's what that was the situation. But a couple times, let them get into the red zone, and the red zone defense has been stellar all year. Held them to field goals and just and gave them a chance. And you know, the old. You know, they didn't deserve to win that game. I, I don't agree with that stuff. I think the, the team that makes the right plays deserves to win the game. And you might not make the plays for three quarters, but if you make the right plays like you see did at the end, then you deserve to win. And, you know, they made a couple plays there at the end that they put them in position. And, and it's kind of funny. There's been so many kicking issues the last couple of years but both this year and last year, when the kicker absolutely had to make one, they've made it at SMU and now at ECU. So it's like, you know, there's their 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 crunch crunch time kicks are good. So maybe we just need to get that mentality in that, like, hey, we're going to lose <laughs> this game if you don't make this kick. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, though, I mean, Ritter did not have a good day passing. But he was very good with his with his legs. I thought that was the difference yeah, in the game. It, it was. I mean, it was for sure. I mean, they were in the ball for almost eight and a half yards to carry. I was slightly off on my Dokes Warren hundred yard rushing game. I just should have picked Ritter and, and Warren. But you know, I can I can understand the frustration because on one hand, Dez ran the ball like we've been talking about wanting to see him run the ball kind of the way he ran it against Marshall. He was very decisive. He was, you know, oh, maybe to a, to a detriment. He was going for that extra yard. He was trying to make guys miss. He could, I mean, it's everything we expect to see him running the ball. And then conversely, I mean, he just looked, he looked lost passing. I mean, guys were open. He's hitching three, four times. He's late on throws he's you know he throws one you know a great ball to Josiah on kind of the corner flag route that he takes down to the one but then you know he's just missing guys but you know on the last drive then he <clears throat> he hit Malik several times to put him in field goal range and had the big 30 yard run to start the drive so it's like can we 
you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we're not running out of time, but I mean, I'd like to see it all come together. Cause I feel like, I feel like it's close. I mean, they ran the ball 15 more times than they threw it. I don't think they, you know, he only threw the ball 24 times. It wasn't like they were, you know, they ran the ball great, but and you could say we'll keep running even more, but it's not like they threw the ball. I don't, I didn't feel like they threw the ball too much. They just I mean, didn't. It was, about, it was about 60, 40 runs. So. Yeah. I mean, so it, it wasn't, it wasn't too crazy close to a split. I mean, obviously with, with how they were running the ball, that should be the majority of the, right. of the plays, but it's just, it's just one of those things where it just hasn't, the past game just hasn't, uh, it hasn't really clicked yet. And you just hope maybe we're still, you know, going to get there. And this isn't kind of what it is. And you're just going to have to kind of try to manufacture uh, manufacture it down the field passing wise. Yeah. All right. Anything else on ECU? They really didn't like Coach Fickle celebrating, which I thought was funny. I don't pay any. You read way more of that than I do. Uh, no, it's just it was. Uh, they they felt like we we must have thought we won our Super Bowl by beating ECU, which I just kind of laughed at. Like, what do they have? Like you know, six he, wins combined in the last three seasons? Shut up. You, you blew it. You blew a twelve point lead with eight minutes left. Like your win expectancy percentage was probably pretty high. Uh, I think the celebration was probably more out of just pure joy and shock, honestly. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, all right. We got about three minutes to talk about UConn. <laughs> Brent just sent me Brent just sent me the, the preview uh, that I'll run in the morning. How many words do you think? I told him I told him not to make it long or I'd fire him. But that means I mean, if loves- it was me writing the pre- if if it was me writing the preview, I'd have wrote, UConn stinks, we should win by 100. Everybody enjoy maybe your last Saturday with no rain in the fall. Okay, but it's not. It's Brent, and Brent uh, loves to 750. write. 750. Ha! Times three. Oh, come on. What could you possibly talk about that much with a team as bad as they are? 2,127 words coming. Do you just get... Talk of, like, did he just list the two deep? Which they don't even um, have a two deep. They just they just group people by position. They don't even have a depth chart. That's how bad they are. Well, he recapped ECU a little bit, which isn't really necessary. Um, <laughs> we do that on this show, Brent. Oh, the offense one. Uh, I mean, it's not too bad, actually. It's actually pretty standard it would have been like four thousand words if he had done what he had typically been doing so i guess he cut it in half um i don't but if he's listening i know he's listening he knows i love him i like to he can he can take the heat which you know some people in this job haven't been able to to do that i don't need an ecu recap in my in my uconn preview right i just gave you one well he wrote well actually he didn't write one this week he was um it was a wedding in San Diego. Uh, so maybe he just felt no, that's probably what it is. He felt the surprise. Need to get he his, didn't get one. Didn't get one in on the plane ride. Yeah, he, had to, get, he had to get his takes in on the uh, the ECU game before he wrote his UConn preview. Because if yeah. not, that would that would have saved him about six hundred words. 
at fifteen hundred words on a you know a preview like he does, I think that would have been about right. Um, I'll leave it in there. I'll let you guys decide when I put the preview up. Uh, let me know in the thread <laughs> if you needed the ECU recap or not uh, on the UConn preview article. Um, UConn stinks. Yeah, they're real bad, and uh, somehow they're actually a little better than last year defensively, which I'm not sure how. Well, but, I mean, they, like uh, all those guys are back except Beavers, right? Well, they were younger than crap last be year. Better. No, but I mean, you should well, yeah, not but... a lot better, but there should be <laughs> at also, least a, a the worst defense in the history of college football. So, so yeah, there should be a no, modest you, improvement. You literally have nowhere to go but up. When you when you put the worst defense in the history of college football out on the field, unless you really want but, to challenge yourself and do it two years in a row, like that for me. Well, that... see, it wasn't possible though because they played like an FCS team and UMass, which is an FCS team that's like really really bad, but they're somehow in the FBS, and they scored like fifty something points and won by twenty something. So their schedule didn't allow them. To, okay. to have an even worse defense. But the, the Cliff Notes version of the 2019 UConn Huskies is they have a good running back, Kevin Mensa. I'm sure they'll give him the ball bunch. He had five touchdowns against UMass. They have a good wide receiver in Cameron Ross. He has more than twice as many catches as the next closest receiver. So I'm sure they're going to try to throw him the ball bunch. Uh, they start a true freshman quarterback, which is in, I believe this will be his seventh. I don't know if this is his seventh start or his seventh game. They've had some injuries at the quarterback position. He is from Canada, so he really has never played big-time football. Um, he has a pretty good arm, so I think, they'll, I think they're probably going to take the ECU philosophy. He is also pretty inaccurate and throws the ball into trouble a lot and throws it with different arm angles and things that I think drive Randy Etzel crazy after listening to his press conference today. Um, Brent Brent added this in his article. Brent, I'm just going to read the important parts of your article on the podcast. Um, (laughs) He's gone on record as saying Zergoidis, is that his name? Yeah, Zergoidis. Zare Ghost is a player who does not have the talent to make plays on his own and must listen and dis- be disciplined to be successful. That's a ringing yeah, endorsement not, from your coach. Yeah. He ain't exactly doing that so far in his freshman campaign, which, you know, a lot of freshmen <laughs> don't. But um, I believe – and now if we switch to the vaunted UConn defense, uh, Tyler Coyle probably leads them in tackles, and he's a safety, so you can guess how that's going. Um they start one number two. Number two linebacker. is also a defensive back, Omar Fort. Okay. They start one true freshman middle linebacker and another middle linebacker that has hardly ever played because he's always hurt. Um, last week against Navy, this stat is unbelievable. They gave up 15 plays for 450 yards. How did you do that? I don't know. Um. Yeah. So it's just thirty yards of play on fifteen of U- of Navy's plays. So while they're probably better than the worst defense in the history of college football, I'm guessing they ain't that much better. So we could have another you know double hundo rushing rushing attack for the Bearcats. 
Um, I think it's kind of going to be choose your own adventure. If you want to just pound the ball and get out of there as quickly as you can, I think that's an option. If you want to work on the passing game, I think that's going to be an option. So, you know, and it, it, they're kind of screwed because their best player is a running back. So if they want to have any success, they're, if they want to try to have any success, they're going to give him the ball, and that kind of plays into UC's hands. They definitely don't have the receivers and quarterback like ECU did to to really even kind of take that game plan and try to mirror it. They might, I mean, they might try to max protect a few times and just chuck it and hope for pass interference because UC's been prone to, to pass interfere, especially last week. Or you just make a couple circus catches, but you know, it's it's not anything like what we saw last week as far as personnel. All right. Let me let me pull up my read here. I wasn't on top of my game this time, Dave. Last oh, week, I mean, last week I was. I, you don't get any better than I was in the ad read game last week. <clears throat> this week, eh? I'm rest. I rested on my laurels. I you didn't, did. I, you, I, you wasn't, didn't you... I wasn't in the gym. I didn't get the you shots up. You did not up. put in the effort. I did not. You know what probably would have helped? Some Trace Pountess coffee. Oh, I'd be more awake sure. if I was trying freshly roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to me. The coffee beans are roasted to order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans has the roast date clearly printed on it so you know your coffee is fresh. You know you, know, you, know you become friends with when you drink this coffee, Dave? You become friends with the Race family. Their family coffee farm, located near the town of Trace Pontas, Brazil, is where you can find the origins of Trace Pontas. They offer gourmet coffee in four roast profiles, light, medium, dark, and French roast. The coffee ships to you in either whole bean or ground 12-ounce packages. How do you get it, Chad, you ask? You go to tracepontas.com slash coffee, T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S.com slash coffee. The coffee orders are roasted fresh and shipped out immediately. When you get to checkout, what you do is you enter Bearcats. And that way, you get 20% off every coffee subscription. You can have it sent out every one, two, or four weeks, your choice. Go to checkout, enter Bearcats, get 20% off, and you can become... Yet another member of the BCJ family that is a satisfied Trace Pountas customer. Dave, prediction. What's the line? 35 and a half, I think, is the last I saw. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, if I was coaching, the score would be as many points as we can score to, to nothing or whatever. I would right. try to get to 70, 80, whatever the record is for college football. But Luke is much nicer than I am, and we run the ball a lot. I'm going to go – I don't know. We beat him up real bad last year up there. I think I'm going to go 48 to 10. I think that's – I don't know. See, I, you got. I I took a lot of heat for your prediction of them not scoring for their trouble. Have ECU struggling to score fourteen points last week, Dave. I had people all Whoa. over my mentions mocking me I mean, for that. 
what in their previous seven games would have told you that they were capable of doing what they did? I mean, you can get defensive all you want. They scored 100 points. Oh, I'm not defensive. I'm not defensive. I'm just like. I'm going to go. If I said said they were going to score 43 points, people would have been like, oh, my God, are you kidding? I'm going to go 45-7 Cincinnati. That's where I'm going to go. I think that's I think that's about right. I I just Either way, you, yeah. Uh... If we're on this topic talking about a close game next week, <laughs> we got problems, Dave. Yeah, that problems. That's for sure. We might be a basketball podcast real quick if we're talking about a close game um, with UConn. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, Simone family tailgate time. This Simone family tailgate brought to you by Ebert's Meats, located on Monmouth Street in Newport, uh, right at the uh, the corner of 10th Street and Monmouth. You get off of Grand Avenue. You go in towards uh, towards Newport. You take a right on Monmouth, and you'll be right there. And uh, I'm very excited so to sample their, 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 their fare. I am uh, great for tailgate stuff. What, what, what my family personally – loves from there and, and and it's funny because Kelly is not a not a ham person and yeah, Kelsey, me, me neither Kelsey is not really a ham person their deli they they make their own in, ham in-house their deli ham is the best I've ever had it's that good so now um you know we've been doing the Kroger thing for Kelsey for uh for school and doing lunch meat, you know, at the deli counter at Kroger. And you know, she had been used to that. And then one day I was coming home, I think from a, a press conference or whatever. And I stopped to see my friends at Ebert's and I got some ham and brought it home. And Kelsey had the ham. And basically I was told, dad, I'm not eating the Kroger ham anymore. And now <laughs> every week I have to make a trip to Newport to get the Ebert's ham for her to have for lunch throughout the week. So... I'll get you. I'll get you a slice of it tomorrow. You're not a ham guy. I, I'm not. Do you Do you eat it no. at all, or do you just ham? You don't eat it. Yeah. No, I I like every other part of like pork is my favorite meat, but I just don't do like deli ham. I'm just not a big not a guy not a fan. So, but you're gonna try a slice tomorrow when we when we get oh, when I'll, we pick I'll, up everything. I'll try anything. All right. But... We're gonna hook us up with some uh, some burgers. Some brats, some mets, and uh, things of that nature, and uh, they are going to take care of the Simone family tailgate, and I am looking forward to it. I'm excited for Dave to get to meet these guys. These are my guys. They yeah, uh, second second to last tailgate of the year. Can't believe it's the already here. I know going this fast, man. What's it the, happens uh, every year? Like yeah. we wait all summer, and then it's like boom. Even with the double buys this year, it feels like it's just gone so fast. 3.30 game, what, 47 degrees, I think, is the last I saw. Yeah, could could be a little chilly if that sun doesn't uh, poke its head out. I think it's supposed to be mostly sunny. So, that really, that's pretty good drinking weather. Oh. At, you know, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you know. At this at this stage in November, as long as it's not raining and not like insanely cold, 
I'm totally fine. We'll have the jello shots. We'll have the the beers. No, no kid, no kid. This this game. So yeah, that's important. I'll set it at seven and a half. We think homecoming, three thirty kickoff. What what's the uh, tailgate beers number for Dave? Probably going to be over. Over. I've seven had, and a, a half. had a long had a long long week. Saturday's going to be. Well, it's going to be nice. And you're going to have a nice full belly. The fine yeah, folks at Everett's yeah. are going to hook up, hook us up with some really good stuff. So, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I, I think I'll go over the seven and a half. I, I think I will as well. So, all right. Well, you got, we're putting a lot on your plate as, uh, as Bearcat fans. If you're in Newport, stop by Everett's Meats. Check it out. They've been in they've been in business since like the 1870s, Dave. Been around a long, a long time. time. I have been. I started going there probably at least 15 years ago when we when we first moved down to Newport, and it's my go to. I I've I've tried as many other. I mean, it's kind of like old school, <clears throat> old school butcher. You know, guys in the white coats and. You know the the fresh cut meats and and you get what you ask for. They do the deli sandwiches. Um, I, I'm a big big fan. Uh, they do they do something I really love. I don't know how how it would work for a tailgate. They make their own chicken burgers that are that are excellent. Um, and then so here's what you'll love. You'll love this one. I don't know how much. So every year my you know my family Thanksgiving, my uncle makes the turkey right. But the way but the way he makes it, he reuses the juice after the turkey is cooked. He shreds the turkey, puts the turkey back in the juice. That keeps the turkey nice and moist for when you eat it. What they don't do uh-huh. is use the juice for the gravy. So my aunt calls me every Thanksgiving and says, we need you to make the gravy. My aunt doesn't cook and doesn't understand that you can't make turkey gravy without the juice. You can't just make it. Like, you can go buy it, but you can't whip up gravy without. Nobody wants (laughs) Kroger-bought turkey gravy. That's not how it works. That stuff's not any good. Fortunately, Eberts makes a ton of turkeys for the holidays, and they make their own turkey gravy, and it is as good as homemade, as good as you will ever find. So every year I have to go to Eberts and buy turkey gravy because my aunt still believes that I can make turkey gravy without making a turkey. So if your family thinks that you can you can make turkey gravy without a turkey, I'd suggest going. You should to go to Everett. That that's as good a commercial <laughs> that I may I redeem myself on the ad read game because that's as good as right. an ad read as you're going to get from me. <laughs> if you need turkey gravy but don't want to make it, Everett is your place. They they make it for you and it's phenomenal. Um, but all right, man. Well, Bearcats should wipe out UConn. Uh, we will have plenty to talk about next week. We will have the game against the Huskies, which probably, hopefully, we don't really talk much about. And we'll have the Bearcats. Should have a, should have a strong visitor group this week, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been working on that. Hopefully, I'll uh, we'll have a list tomorrow um, for the fo- for the football visitors. And we'll, uh, I, I think, uh, Brett is reporting tonight on the site that 2020 big man Nigel John uh, is coming to headed to campus for his official visit right now. 
um, homeschooled big man, 6'10", out of Texas. So that's what's going on. For everything else, you know where to find it, BearcatJournal.com. He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.